everyone, welcome to Then Now Whatever, the wrestling podcast, episode 35. I'm your host, the master of the plug, Duncan Joyce. I'm joined once again by the master of Triple H Markdom, it's Mr. Kyle Cambry. Hello, lovely to speak to you again. It's great to hear from you again too, Kyle. We've only recently heard from each other because we had both had the privilege of joining Lee on the Rory's Nitro podcast last week. Yeah, that was really good fun. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, one of my favourite things we've recorded, I think. It's just a blast from start to end. When you popped out with that revelation that Coach Buzz Stern was who he was, I flipped my lid, honestly. I couldn't believe it. Incredible, I know. It's one of those um, moments where you think, right, you go from one character to another character that's completely opposite ends of the scale. It's bonkers. Exactly. So, yeah, in case you missed it, go ahead over to Lee's feed at Rory's Nitro Podcast. I'll find him on SoundCloud, iTunes and all the rest. We looked at the first proper episode of SmackDown going up against Thunder because as part of our Tape Trader Diary series, Kyle, you actually watched that episode of SmackDown. Yeah. And it was good fun watching it again, you know. And... No spoilers, but I think you're very, very glad that you didn't accidentally record Thunder instead. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> like the podcast, I have no words. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of having no words, you're probably expecting us to be doing an episode on WrestleMania 36 right now. We do WrestleMania every year, but with the current climate, I wasn't really in the mood for covering modern WWE. We'll give our brief thoughts on the show itself during one of the breaks, but it just got to the point where, okay, it'd been a few days after I'd seen it. I'm going to have to rewatch it to get notes. I'm not sure I'm in the mood to have to go and make notes and everything again. It's two days. And then they went and released a whole shit ton of people in this climate. Just to really get you know, on the good side of everybody. I know, right? I'm still really confused with the money aspect of it and, you know, how much money they're saving, etc., etc. They're such a, a big, big company that I'm pretty sure they would have been all right moving forward. I'm almost certain of it. If people have yeah. gone and researched it. If you look at how much operating income that they get, how much operating income they lose out of because of lack of live events. It's maybe, oh, I don't know, like 10% or something or 10-15%. And the wage bill for the talent pool is itself only something ridiculously low, like 10% or something like that. So if they've cut maybe, well, I don't know, 7 or 8% of their roster, it's really not all that much. The main stuff comes from TV rights fees and network yeah. subscriptions, and that's not going anywhere. No. The strange one for me is that they, they said that they've released Kurt Angle. Well, apparently he's on NXT next week. We've seen this with Jake Maverick as well. I think they feel that because there's the let's see, the 30-day or 90-day notice period or whatever where they'd have a traditionally have a no compete they're like oh well we can use them anyway you know which doesn't make all that much sense for me you know either it's a clean break from the company or it's not 
Yeah, and the, the, the Drake Maverick thing as well for me is surely he has to win this tournament. The amount of investment that they've done in his story and his emotion, they're just going to kick him in the arse. Yeah, it's a bit drawn out for a last goodbye, really. Yeah. We're a little bit more used to somebody getting some last-minute prominence on television to try and convince them to stay. Think of the revival. Think of Drew Gulak's push before his contract expired. It's kind of a thing, but this thing with Drake, I mean, like you say, Kyle, there's so much emotional investment in it, and they've been putting it over really hard and with the length of this cruiserweight series as well it feels a bit odd to just have it go nowhere yeah because they've they've passed that opportunity now i mean if they wanted to do that then they do it in the knockout round have him lose his matches and then that's it you know now he's won against what would essentially have been the favorite really in the nxt the knockout tournaments to then progress him through to this three-way and you just think, is there something underlying here? At the end of the day, they should be keeping everyone on board, really. You know, it's just the best thing to do, to look after everyone. And no other wrestling companies have gone to these measures. And they're the biggest wrestling company around. So, you know. Yeah. Anyway. We've got to get back to our Tape Raider Diaries series here, looking at an older WrestleMania was in a slightly similar climate in that we're expecting this really, really big show and then it got downgraded a little bit. So it's WrestleMania 7 from the LA Memorial Coliseum in Los Angeles, California on March the 24th, 1991. 16,158 in attendance, despite everyone talking about 20,000 people in the crowd. And 400,000 people watching on home via pay-per-view. Didn't I read that they, they had to move arenas or something due to security? Yes, they were originally yeah. booked at... Oh, it, was, it was an actual stadium. It was like a LA sports stadium or something like that. I can't, I can't remember what it's exactly called. But when they announced the location for this WrestleMania at WrestleMania 6 last year... This this is going to be a record-setting audience! And then, in reality, what happened was the storylines that they were running here weren't particularly a draw, and so they sneakily shifted to a much smaller venue, and Sergeant Slaughter, who is full of shit, said, Oh, we got bomb threats! We We just had to move! Somebody was going to bomb WrestleMania because of the nature of the stories that they were doing going into this show. Yeah, I felt it was very uh, patriotic. Yes, it's very hard to get away from. Vince bet very, very big on this war that was going on and it practically wrapped up by this time. So he's just left holding his dick like, oh, God damn it, we got to celebrate yeah. America for some reason. <laughs> So to get behind the, the story of this as a tape, Kyle, you had this. You had the Silver Vision version of this show, and you lent it me, hence why we're covering it today. Somebody get you this as a gift, or where did you pick it? Yeah, so my 
cousin who I've mentioned previously on the show who got me into wrestling. When WrestleMania was on, he'd have been like 10, 11. Obviously, <laughs> when this was on, I was two years old. So I, I didn't watch it at the time of when it was on. But this was kind of the first video that he gave to me and said, look, you've got to watch this. You know, wrestling's really, really cool. So that's where the video came from. And then I obviously passed it over to you. By the time I got this tape, it was kind of a, a little education for me because I was just watching it and I was thinking, there's so many WCW guys in the WWF. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Like the, the, the point in time that I got involved with wrestling, Hulk Hogan was a WCW guy. Bret Hart was a WCW guy. Roddy Piper was the same. And to find out that they'd all been in the WWF beforehand, it was like... I didn't know all these people would switch over like this. Like it opens up the rivalry a bit, doesn't it? You think, wow, all these people used to be in WWF, they're now in WCW. They keep jumping ship. Oh, man, this these companies are rival, like big rivals sort of thing. Yeah, because one of the first things on the WWF that was going on when I started watching was the Radicals coming over. So I had some yeah. concept of people moving between shows, but I, I just guess I didn't really think of the scale of it and the fact that these people felt like established acts when I was watching. I just assumed that they were established in WCW. Yeah. This is so old school. It has the glowing WWF sign just above the curtain and people just walk out through the curtain. Yeah, very um, minimalistic set. Like, we'll get to it. Some people didn't even have entrances. No, they didn't actually, no. <laughs> even though we, well, we're significantly into the 90s, there's a, a lot of old school tropes here. And speaking of old, the video quality was pretty <laughs> shocking. Oh, my word. The light glare. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> light streaking. <laughs> <laughs> So this is so far back in time. It wasn't really like a kickoff show or any kind of wrestling show going on beforehand, but they did do a dark match before the cameras were rolling with Coco Beware defeating the Brooklyn Brawler. Was it a good kickoff match? <laughs> there doesn't seem to be any records <laughs> as far as the quality goes. <laughs> okay, we'll decide ourselves. Uh, decent, decent. <laughs> <laughs> So we're kicking things off seemingly live from within the US flag itself. <laughs> <laughs> Graphics on this one, holy crap. Whereas we have Vince McMahon screaming the main event at us with Hulk Hogan and Sergeant Slaughter gurning at each other. Face yeah. to face! It's WrestleMania! And I love the classic WrestleMania theme song. Oh, yes, yes. Are there any theme songs for WrestleMania that you can remember that particularly stand out to you, Kyle? For the life of me, I don't know why it sticks in my head, but the WrestleMania that they did, and it was Diddy. I'm coming home, I'm coming home. For some reason, that always sticks in my head as, like, you know, the crowd chanting, soaking in the atmosphere type song. It's that 
the the one where the rock wrestled again was it the rock and cena one wrestlemania 29 yeah oh okay oh that's pretty late on then mine is we'll cover this show more in detail because it's on our list of tapes but wrestlemania x8 the, the saliva one make me a superstar yeah yeah and they, they, had, they performed that song live in front of the crowd and they had the sizzle reel of all the rivalries in the in the screens in the background. We've always said that WWF and WWE are spot on with their video packages and like the music that fits so well. Yeah, I get, saliva. I, I get a similar feeling whenever a live band performs at an NXT show as well. Yeah. On the subject of music, Willie Nelson is here in a toy WWF title belt to sing America the Beautiful, and he got a huge ovation. Right, number one, how ridiculous does he look with that fucking belt? <laughs> and number two, was Willie Nelson high? It's Willie Nelson, he's got to be high. <laughs> That's why he doesn't care how he looks with a title belt on Kyle. <laughs> Uh, definitely one of the least offensive murka fuck yeah moments in the WWF for me yeah yeah nice Gorilla Monsoon introduces us to Star Spangled Wrestlemania what will undoubtedly be the greatest Wrestlemania of all time Uh, I don't think so I think we've had better manias (laughs) I mean that's the problem there expectations right there at the top <laughs> okay <laughs> we've got to live up to that because Gorilla said so yeah <laughs> he then introduces his broadcast partner for the opening match the World Wrestling Federation's own Uncle Sam it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan and he's legitimately dressed as Uncle Sam I mean watching this it's just it's so cartoony it's it's unreal I'm willing to bet Hacksaw lit one up with Willie backstage <laughs> and thought this outfit was a good idea. Yeah. You know, if they were ever to do some sort of film or whatever for WrestleMania or looking at the life of, of stuff, do you not think that David Harbour could play Hacksaw Jim Duggan? Oh, I see you where you're coming from. Yeah. I, like I was watching, I was thinking... That casting fits. But anyway, but let's, let's carry on watching WrestleMania. But that in my head, I was like, David Harbour, yeah, let's make a film. I tell you what, those people making that Hulk Hogan biopic have missed out on a trick if they've not got David Harbour as Jim Duggan in the show. Yeah. They talk through the big matches. Duggan naturally picks Warrior and Hogan to win their matches. And he's so out of it, he is like, Big Hulk Hogan is going to come down here in front of hundreds of people. I'm thinking, the venue's not been downgraded that much, Jim. Come on. <laughs> this is something you don't really see in modern WWE. We immediately cut backstage to an interview with Sean Mooney interviewing the Rockers about their opening match with Hakuna Barbarian. How are you going to put up with the sheer force of this team? A big standout for me in this little segment, did you notice that 
Shawn Michaels' top lip was very, very white compared to the rest of his body. And I just couldn't seem to take my eyes off it. It was like he'd just drunk some milk before. I was trying to work out what it was, you know. Had he tanned the rest of his body and missed his upper lip or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally missed that. According to Marty, they've been defying the odds since the beginning of time. <laughs> Holy shit! Wow. It's <laughs> honestly it's as generic and as cartoon as as you could possibly get this whole yeah. beginning. Sean's <laughs> a bit nervous. He's talking about WrestleMania set seven. They're gonna turn heads, turn on crowds, and come out on top. Which was a bit sexual. Yeah. <laughs> so it's our opening contest. As Howard Finkel put it, a tag team attraction. It's Haku and the Barbarian, accompanied by Bobby the Brain Heenan, taking on the Rockers. Again, first example here, no entrance of the Heenan family. Not very WrestleMania by today's standards. No. Haku starts off by catching Shawn Michaels' leapfrog and turning it into a bear hug. Then gets a power slam blocked and more leapfrogs by Shawn, allow him to take Haku down. We then get a double hip toss and a double elbow by the Rockers, but then they get immediately levelled by a double lariat from Barbarian. The flip that they did to sell that. Yeah. Some real little quirks from Monsoon on commentary here. The Rockers do a double super kick and Monsoon, of course, calls it a double crescent kick. That was his trademark. It was always a crescent kick when Monsoon was on commentary. Barbarian does the chops. He calls them reverse knife edge. <laughs> reverse knife edge. Yeah. God. That's another thing as well with, with the moves back then. They were like generic names for moves. And not even that. If you used the reverse knife edge, surely it's not going to be as painful as the actual knife edge. Yeah. <laughs> reverse DDT (laughs) okay (laughs) TDD (laughs) I tried reverse suplex (laughs) (laughs) Barbarian blocked a sunset flip only for Sean to kick him into a hurricane rana by Marty Jannetty it was really nice Mm. they tried to do it again but the referee stop Sean from doing it this time and that allows the heels to alley-oof Marty into the top rope really cool at one point Haku does a really good double backbreaker like he does a backbreaker and then he holds him up immediately for another one and then at one point Barbarian caught Marty out of midair with a power slam only to then miss a top rope attack which allows Sean to get the hot tag highlights of this included him Leaping from his corner 10 punch on Haku to crossbody Barbarian. And then the Rockers double dropkick Barbarian out of the ring. And we get a top rope dropkick by Marty. Followed up immediately with a top rope crossbody by Sean. And that gets the Rockers the win after 10 minutes and 33 seconds. What do you make to this, Kyle? I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good opening match. I thought it was really fast paced. The crowd were fully behind the Rockers. I just think it was a good opening match. Yeah, definitely really nice opener here. This became the real trademark of the Rockers from back then. 
always be very very early on in the card get everybody's energy going as you say the crowd really responded to it i think it was the royal rumble the previous months before this they had a match with orient express and that was on one of sean's dvd compilations and when i watched that it just blew me away it was incredible but yeah this match these two teams had way more chemistry than you'd probably think having such a style clash they worked really really well together haku and, and barbarian did a decent job and i think they, they all carried each other through the match duggan and gorilla then just talk over each other cutting to the next scene kyle try try and introduce the, the next bit for us and i'll do what duggan does so on to our next Wrestle match Wrestle 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 top guy yeah that's what wrestlemania is all about oh. That was very uncanny. (laughs) (laughs) Nowadays, Vince would be screaming in everybody's ears all over that. Yeah. We're backstage with Mean Gene and the show's celebrity guests. Regis Philbin, Marla Maples and Alex Trebek. Do you recognise anybody here, Kyle? No, not really, other than Mean Gene. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) <laughs> he's like give me a break I'm the most famous guy in this room <laughs> Regis Philbin at the time was host of this daytime talk show he's kind of like America's Phil Schofield ah right okay Marla Maples was a socialite so she's kind of like Tara Palmer Tompkinson or something yeah and Alex Trebek is the presenter of Jeopardy. Ah, okay. His running shtick throughout the show is to try and do his interviews in the style of Jeopardy. So you start off with the answer and then you have to figure out what the question is. I bet Regis- that was very successful. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> Regis tells us he's scared of Earthquake because he saw him flip over a Pizza Hut delivery truck. And Gene accidentally called Trebek Alex Quebec, and he doesn't seem to understand the rules of Jeopardy, so Trebek sends us back to ringside, where Bobby Heenan has joined commentary. Around this time, Bobby Heenan was normally on commentary, wasn't he? But I'm guessing because his team were wrestling first, that's why he wasn't on commentary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He'd sit there more permanently when his neck got a bit too weary so this is his kind of last hurrah as a manager as opposed to a broadcast journalist (laughs) on to our second match it's the world's strongest man dino bravo accompanied by jimmy hart taking on the texas tornado kerry von eric is it strange to have a world's strongest man that's not mark henry kyle yes very much so yeah another running theme of this night are people jumping their opponents at the bell because there's lots of rushed matches on this show yeah i I noticed that quite a bit yeah kerry makes a comeback with an atomic drop but the claw gets blocked and dino hits his sidewalk slam only for kerry to kick out then dino leaps right into the claw and Heenan's funny on commentary, he's accusing Von Eric of pulling the hair. His hand is right on his 
forehead. There's like no room in between his hand and his head to pull any hair. <laughs> anyway, that sets up Dino for the discus punch, and that gets Texas Tornado the win in three minutes and 11 seconds. Very brief, a bit awkward transitioning on occasion, but mainly inoffensive. Yeah, I think it was just a match to put over Texas Tornado, really. I delved a little deeper into this match and these two combatants. I don't know whether you may know any of this information. So, Texas Tornado, this was his first and only WrestleMania match. And then two years later, he committed suicide. Yeah, it's a lot of tragedy in that Von Erich family. Yeah. To the add to that, Dino Bravo, he died in 1993, rumoured to have been killed by the Mafia. Ah, right, yeah. There's an episode of Dark Side of the Ring this season about that, I think. Yeah, so that's just a little more to add to that match. Yeah, pretty high death toll in this show, sadly. Yeah. Going back to the match, it, it was nothing spectacular. It did its purpose of putting Texas Tornado over by beating this big brute guy, but it kind of didn't go anywhere as neither of them lasted within the WWF that long anyway. Mm. Yeah, didn't outstay its welcome, didn't really leave you wanting all that much more. It's all right. Yeah. Mooney is backstage with the Warlord and Slick. Warlord's opponent is the British Bulldog, but Slick says it'd take a pack of dogs to put the Warlord down. Warlord tells us that nobody escapes his full Nelson. Cue Gene Oakland backstage with Davy Boy and his dog Winston, and Davy says he can break the full Nelson, and there isn't a superstar in the WWF he can't power slam. Interesting. There's no bull in this British bulldog. <laughs> what a line. I remember watching this at the time and thinking, Full Nelson holds like the, the big vaunted submission. This this is a this feels like an ice age ago. Yeah. Got any favourite submission moves, Kyle? What was the, the the deadly ones that make you think, oh wow, who's gonna get out of that? There's two for me growing up, so I was always a big fan of the sharpshooter. The Rock was the one that kind of did that for me. I know that everyone looks at Brett as the sharpshooter, but it was the watching The Rock do it that got me with the sharpshooter. And then obviously Walls of Jericho is another one, you know, <laughs> pretty much snapping someone's back in half. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're the two. I'm, I'm not a massive fan of like the sleeper holds or anything like that. I mean, Shana sort of gives it a different spin, but uh, I can't seem to buy into the, the sleeper submissions. Yeah, I think I also prefer the ones where you can still see the struggle on someone's face and you can tell a story with that. The ankle lock for me is the, the best one. It's simple and it, it looks pretty deadly. Like you can you can do it safely, but you can pass it off as really, really dangerous and... Yeah, it's, it's just really elementary to hook on, and it, it's very tangible. Yeah, yeah. On to our third match. It's the Warlord, accompanied by the Doctor of Style Slick, against the British Bulldog. Brain is full of shit here. 
he he tells us there's only one WrestleMania and this is it. Like, there's been six of them already. Yeah. What are you on about? <laughs> this also gives us a chance to hear Howard Finkel's weird pronunciation of Leeds. I'm unsure of where he's decided that that's the right pronunciation. I know it's like I was thought is he saying does he mean Lee? Yeah. Brain has a line here. Soon you can see the fleas jumping off that hound, which causes Gorilla to burst out his top catchphrase working with Brain. Will you stop? <laughs> Gorilla's hyping this up as a big power match, and no wonder these two lads are huge. Yeah. It took Davy Boy three goes to shoulder block the Warlord down, and then his crucifix attempt is blocked, and Warlord hooks him in a bear hug. Davy escapes, but gets hot-shotted into the ropes, and there's a nice belly-to-belly suplex by the Warlord. It just made it look so easy. He's very good at making making things look very, very simple and uh, easy to do. <laughs> Bully fires back with a crossbody for a two-count, but Warlord backdrops out of a power driver, only for Davy to hang on and get a sunset flip at the second time of asking. Then the full Nelson hole gets locked on, but he can't lock his fingers, and so Davy Boy is able to power out. And then guess what? He power slams the Warlord, and that gives him the win after 8 minutes and 15 seconds. There is no bull in this British bulldog. He promised to break the full Nelson, he promised to power slam everybody, and he did. Well, you know, if that's what he promises to do and he does it, uh, you know, no bull, man. Exactly. Did you enjoy this, Kyle? Again, it was very quick. Bulldog, you know, he worked his ass off. He did what he said he wanted to do. It was essentially a power match. It got the right finish. Warlord wasn't the greatest in that. There was a few slick moves, but... You know, you can tell how good the British Bulldog is. Yeah, see, I kind of, I thought the Warlord looked pretty nifty at points here. It just needed to stay away from the generic big man clubbering. Yeah. But I thought it was a pretty good, you know, like you say, it's a very big man match. Great fundamental way of getting Davy over as a babyface. He's just a guy that's true to his word and had great fun watching this. Yeah, yeah. We cut to Gene with the Nasty Boys and Jimmy Hart. Jimmy says that they're the next tag champions. And Nobbs calls the Hart Foundation the stinking pink. Don't you know your own gimmick? You're supposed to be the stinky ones. You're the Nasty Boys. (laughs) I struggled to understand any of this as there was a lot of yelling. And there was a lot of the word nasty said. Other than that, I can't quite grasp what else happened. <laughs> <laughs> they both snotted into Mean Jeans hanky as well. Yeah. Can't do that nowadays. No, that's a no-no. Mooney's with the tag champions for the Heart Foundation, and they say the nasties are the bottom of the barrel, and they're going to stay there. We'll see how that winds out in our fourth match of the show. For the WWF Tag Team Championship, it's the Hart Foundation, the champions defending, it's the Nasty Boys with Jimmy Hart. 
Did you see they had a shot of Macaulay Culkin in the crowd? Yeah. I'm trying to work out time period-wise. Would this be Home Alone era? I think so, yeah. I think Home Alone 2 was, I want to say, 92, maybe? Right. But, yeah, Gorilla doesn't recognise him. I'm like, oh, check out that youngster in the crowd. <laughs> He's coming off to be very, very stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Sachs immediately cheats to get the upper hand in this match. But then Brett fires back with a Lufez press. Never seen that from him. No. Anvil in this match is really slugging away on knobs. You can feel the impact of some of those. Yeah. <laughs> Leading back to your what you spotted about Monsoon being a bit dim, Kyle. Yeah. Brett hit a great Russian leg sweep and Monsoon called it beautiful netbreaker. He'd always Ooh. have that line. That guy doesn't know a wrist lock from a wrist watch. I don't think he knows a wrist lock from a yeah. wrist watch. <laughs> Brett then gets cheap shotted and isolated. Sags hits the rude awakening for a two count. Brett fires back with a net breaker of his own, but then Nobs distracted Anvil to prevent the tag. Brett then dodged a double team avalanche in the corner, but the referee missed out on him getting the tag to Anvil, so everybody has to reset again. In the distraction during this, Nobs accidentally hits Sags with Jimmy Hart's megaphone, and that allows Anvil to finally tag in proper. He slams Nobs into Sags, hits a good power slam on Nobs for a near fall, and then the champions hit their finisher, the heart attack. But with the referee still distracted, Sags nails Anvil with a megaphone and rolls Nobs on the top of the cover, and that gets the Nasty Boys a free count to become the tag team champions for the first time after 12 minutes and 10 seconds. Interesting match. I thought it was a lot of fun. There was a lot of the the standard tag team tricks that you'd get, you know, the false tags, distractions, few comebacks here and there. And yeah, it was, you know, it was an, a nice finish. I suppose in those times it was quite a different finish as well. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed that match. This is a kind of bang average for me, really. I think it was let down by the Nasty Boys. They were pretty generic. Like, they bumped really well for the Heart Foundation stuff, but I felt like they didn't really contribute all that much themselves to the match. Yeah. But I yeah. love the Heart Foundation. They were very good in this match. I think I remember watching, when you first gave me this tape, this was the match that started to feel a little bit long. And I can kind of see why, because we had some very quick-fire matches leading up to this. Yeah, yeah. All right, we then hit a video package for the upcoming blindfold match. It tells us a story of what happened here. So on October the 6th on Superstars, Rick the Model Martel was on the Brother Love Show with Jake Snake Roberts, and he kept on spraying his fragrance on Jake Snake. Did you catch what the fragrance is called, Kyle? Ar- arrogance? Arrogance, it? yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very heel thing. Yeah. Do. <laughs> Who's going to want to buy a fragrance called that? Like, you spray yourself with it and you just instantly become a dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> New links, egotist, because you love yourself. That's a fracas and Jake wounds up blinded by the fragrance. 
prevent see next month Martel slapped Jake's glasses off his head and then that reveals the discoloration of Jake's pupils. We also see clips of Wrestling Challenge where Jake interfered in Martel's match with Tito Santana and accidentally hit Tito because his vision was still messed up. And then there's a very brief promo from Jake. Men have five senses, but snakes, we have six. We always do it better in the dark. Again, It's very creepy, that, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If it was delivered by the Rockers, it would be much more sexual. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's our fifth match of the show, a blindfold match with Rick the Model Martel taking on Jake the Snake Roberts. Have you ever seen this kind of match before, Kyle? No. This was a novelty for me as well. I think the only time it happened in our lifetime was D'Lo Brown and Triple H had one during one of the Raw Roulette shows. The thing is with that one is it wasn't you your blindfold match of like it's been building up to a head it was one of those that happened on the night and was over and done with whereas you know this one was kind of building for quite a while into a blindfold match i've never seen anything anything like that as as bad as the, the punjabi death match or whatever the hell that was <laughs> Yeah, you're right. This is Jake wanting Martel to experience what he was put through. So both of these lads get put under the hoods to be blindfolded, in quotation marks. But that illusion immediately gets ruined because Jake reaches in to scratch his face and you can see his hand through a little mesh grid that they have to see through. Very odd. Very poor direction there. Yeah. The gimmick of this match is Jake will point around the ring and the crowd will yell no when he doesn't find Martel and yeah when he does find Martel. That was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> what do you think? A bit too pantomime. Yeah. Well, you know, the show so far has been very cartoon, so this fits in very well with that. I suppose it's kind of jarring with this coming on in a seemingly very serious feud. Yeah. Yeah, and they play up the comedy pretty big in this match. Martel accidentally fell over Jake, and then hilariously, he whips Jake into the ropes, sets himself up for a backdrop, and then Jake just goes off in a different direction entirely. Yeah. Somehow Martel was able to slam Jake, but by the time he goes for an elbow drop, Jake's got up. This match is quite jarred throughout. Martel, he's crawling around and he accidentally touched the bag with Jake's snake in and then he runs away and nearly bumps into Jake. Jake winds up getting shoulder blocked out of the ring and so Martel starts poking around at ringside with a chair to try and find him but then whacks it into the ring post and hurts himself. Yeah. We then get to the finish where somehow Martel gets the backbreaker and the Boston Crab on Jake. But Jake powers out, gets the DDT, and after crawling to find Martel's body, eventually gets the pin. 
after eight minutes and 34 seconds. I mean, it was a different kind of match, wasn't it? You know, the, the crowd seemed to be into it. There wasn't really a lot of action. And yeah, Robert's got the win. <laughs> the highlight of this is the spectacle, really. Yeah. It's a very unique situation that you don't really see that often. Some much appreciated pratfalls from Martel. And the crowd were really wonderful reacting to all this. Yeah. But it's definitely a one-time only deal and you get very little replay value out of this match. In the post-match, Jake breaks the model's spray with his arrogance in and then hugs him with his snake, Damien. That was a huge fucking snake. Yeah, not a chance I'm going anywhere near that. <laughs> nah. Marla Maples is interviewing the new tag champions backstage and they're celebrating with the rest of Jimmy Hart's stable. So they're just dousing each other in champagne and you can't actually get a question in there. <laughs> the celebs got put through the ringer with some of these interviews. We'll get to them later. This shows a big card, so we're about a third of the way through. So let's break off for a second and talk a bit about some of the WWE shows that we've missed out on. So we've had WrestleMania 36 and Money in the Bank since we were last podcasting. Yeah. Just wanted to get your quick thoughts on some of the stuff that went down there. WrestleMania was was very, very different this year. I quite enjoyed it. I think the big thing coming out of Mania was the Boneyard match. I think that that was very well done. I really enjoyed Owens and, and Rollins. I thought that was a really good match. But I think just like manias that we've had in the past, I think the investment that's needed in these matches at the moment, there needs to be a little more at stake. Because I find that matches at the moment, there doesn't seem to be a lot there. Edge and Orton, really, really enjoyed. That's probably the one that had like the biggest stake in it and you, you didn't really see any of that mentioned. And then moving to Money in the Bank, I'm still undecided whether the Money in the Bank match itself was so incredibly awful that it was amazing or it was just incredibly awful. (laughs) I'm not quite sure which side of the line I'm falling on there. Asuka winning it, probably not the right thing I would have said. Otis winning it again, probably not the right way to go, but We'll see what's going to happen. Otis, I'm not so sure about. Asuka is definitely keen on. I just like that they're two of the people that have stayed the most over in this crowdless era. Asuka has excelled so much in recent months to the point where it's turning her baby face and then the endorsement from Becky completed that. So... I was really pleased that some of the top performers got rewarded for that, especially given the circumstances where they're coming in and risking themselves. Yeah, I just... I think my one thing with with Asuka is that her current character, I'm just really not getting into it. This whole wacky, bouncing around character, I, I just... I'm not buying it. It's just very caricature of 
of someone who's such a fantastic wrestler and I just think that that character downgrades her a little bit. The other thing that we've got to talk about if we're talking about Money in the Bank, where the fuck did Rey Mysterio and Alistair Black go? <laughs> Apparently it was only a, si- only a six foot drop. Absolutely incredible. I'm telling you now, during that match, they died. However, there was like, oh no, there's a second building next to it. No, <laughs> no, there's not. You threw them off the roof. Luckily, I think they used one of their remaining continues. It'd have been We're cool gonna... to see Alistair Black come back as some sort of ghostly character. <laughs> <laughs> it rather suits him. With WrestleMania, I think day one was much better than day two, personally. The overriding memories I have of it are the definitely post-produced matches. So, like, the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse match. Yeah, I think the Firefly was really fun. It was nice, like, callback to all of Cena's career. It was really nice. Yeah, and the ladder match was another thing that I really enjoyed as well. Edge and Orton, it's really inventive in places, but it's just far too long. Yeah. You'd let them go 20 minutes instead of 40, no one would have been complaining. As it is, it's one of the most divisive matches from that show. Yeah, and I'm happy that they're going to have another match. I know we, we normally say don't continue a feud after Mania, but I'm all for another match at Backlash. The stupid greatest match ever tagline is doing them no favours, but this is genuinely one of the best and most logically thought out ways to progress a feud from a big stipulation match to just a straight wrestling match. I really like how that's done other than the incredibly forced tagline. Yeah. And then Money in the Bank, I only really enjoyed the tag title match and there were some bits of the Money in the Bank match that were like, okay, that's a bit of a laugh. Like, I really appreciated how how happy Daniel Bryan was to be in that match. Like, <laughs> all right, lads, you ready for a fight? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were some bits in that that was just unbelievably awful. Like, when Dana Brooke, she got the, the suitcase in the boardroom and then it cut to... It cut to Stephanie McMahon, who clearly had recorded that on some other day. Yeah. And then back to Dana, it was just, oh my God. I feel like I'm the expert on this. So it's safe for me to say, that was some mighty morphing Power Rangers editing right there. <laughs> yeah. Everybody looking off camera to something that was actually recorded in Japan 18 months ago. <laughs> Yeah, my favourite spots actually revolved around Otis in that match, which is why I was kind of all right with him winning, even though the the finish around it was kind of cheap. When Brian was doing the yes kicks and Otis was yesing along, and then Brian was like, fuck are you doing? Let's head back in time again. And boy, are we going back in time here. A monumental moment here for match number six. It's Superfly Jimmy Snooker taking on The Undertaker, accompanied by Paul Bearer. It's the start of the streak. 
Yeah, I mean, this this Undertaker guy seems pretty decent, doesn't he? I hope he stays around for a bit. <laughs> yeah, he is hoping. <laughs> Crowd are pretty into him. Like, he's getting some notable cheers in this. And especially from a heel character as well. Like, when he hit his flying clothesline, people were awestruck. Yeah. Snooker came charging in the corner, and Taker put his knee up, and that sent Snooker all the way over the top to the outside. And so Taker <laughs> has to suplex him back inside. Yeah. He misses the elbow drop, but then Snooker can't knock him down, and launched himself in the ropes. Then he has a springboard that's blocked, and Taker turns it around into the tombstone. And so the Undertaker begins his streak. 1-0 at WrestleMania. 1-0 after 4 minutes and 20 seconds. Big old squash match. Oh, 100% a squash match. I mean, The Undertaker <laughs> didn't even get knocked off his feet. <laughs> it was a very quick match, getting The Undertaker over, and it did its job. Bobby the Brain is going, like, apoplectic here. It's like, that was super fly, Jimmy Stucker. And at the time, it didn't mean anything to me. I'm like, oh, OK, he beat a guy and he lost fairly quickly. He deserved to lose. And now I get the historical significance of why it was an important win. Yeah. We then get a recap of the career-ending match feud we see on Saturday night's main event. The Macho King attacked the Warrior with his scepter. Queen Sherry tried to parlay that into a title match. What the hell? She's like literally just talking to his dick. <laughs> oh, God. She's trying to be humble and she's like, I beg of you, please give the Macho King what he deserves. And Warrior with one of the most emphatic refusals ever. Well, that didn't add to how ridiculous the video, like the the look of it. She's bent down, pleading to his his penis, and then he's like going all ultimate mode. <laughs> oh dear, Warrior's not going to face an unworthy challenger. And so later on in that night, Sherry and Macho cost the Warrior the World Wrestling Federation title, and apparently that's enough to make it impossible for both of these men to remain in the WWF. And so we're going to have this match here where the loser is going to retire, supposedly. I like that you've had supposedly in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When was the first time you realised that career-ending matches were kind of bullshit, Kyle? Mick Foley. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up, Mick Foley has had a record amount of career matches. <laughs> That's the first time that I was like, really? Do careers really get put on the line? Because I'm calling bullshit on a few of these. <laughs> yeah. And you fast forward to sort of later years, and I feel like it's really poorly placed when they use this kind of stipulation, like when someone's career was on the line. Yeah. Dolphs against Miz in 2016 was one of the last few convincing ones. Yeah, and and then the other ones that kind of jar it a little bit for me are like the retirement matches. So like Sean, he retired 
and then he comes back. Yeah. If you retire, you retire, man. Just just chill. So our seventh match of the evening, a career-ending match. The Macho King, Randy Savage, accompanied by Queen Sensational Sherry, is taking on the Ultimate Warrior. And Bobby, the brain spots for Macho's former manager, Miss Elizabeth, is in the audience. Very well spotted of him. I don't know what drew his eye to that direction. I mean, she's literally at the entrance way. There's no possible way that he has spotted her from where he's sat. I know she wore a sparkly jumper, but still. Very odd. Macho and Sherry are carried out on a throne. I think King Mabel, King Corbin, that deal. Macho actually gets a decent level of respect from the crowd, but that's nothing compared to the pop that the Ultimate Warrior got. Oh, yeah. Massive. Uncharacteristically, he's walking to the ring instead of running. Bobby the Brain, again, being eagle-eyed here, spots that one of Warrior's knee pads has a picture of Warrior with the title, and the other has a picture of Macho with the title. Mm. The back of Warrior's trunks has a picture of a WWF title on it, and the words means much more than this. Some people saw it as a dig towards the main event. Yeah, I could see that. But really, the whole point is, this started out as a fight over the title, and now it's transcended beyond being able to fight for the titles, being able to fight full stop. Yeah. Warrior's powering Savage down early on, so the Macho Man has to resort to strikes and shortcuts. Yet a hanging chokehold and an atomic drop from the Warrior, and then he knocks Savage into Sherry. Macho comes back with a sliding clothesline. I've never really seen people clothesline like that nowadays. No, very different. Savage got caught out of midair and slapped in the face. And the crowd are counting along with the Ultimate Warrior's mud hole stomping. But he missed a splash in the corner. And Sherry starts cheap shotting him. It's finally a rake to the back on the outside that gets Warrior to retaliate and shove her down. But that allows Macho to hit him into the ring post. And Netbreaker gets countered with a backslide for a two count. And so Savage spits at Warrior and dodges his diving splash. Do you know when when he spits at him, Earl Hebner's like, "Oh my God, whoa, what the hell!" <laughs> like he spat at him. I'm surprised he didn't tell him to knock it off. <laughs> There's a small package from the Warrior, but Sherry had the ref distracted. Macho sends Warrior into a collision with the ref, and Kyle, you called this last episode. <laughs> Top rope shoe attacks don't work. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> Sherry comes off the top with her heel and it hits Macho instead of the Warrior. By the time Warrior finally catches Sherry as he's chasing her around, Savage had him schoolboyed for a near fall and then sends him face first into the top turnbuckle. Hot shots him into the rope and follows it up with five top rope elbow drops. Yeah. Warrior barely kicked out. By a whisker. <laughs> I should hope it's only by a whisker. <laughs> Just on five of your ultimate top move. Did you see as well Donald Trump was in the front row and he was loving this? Yeah. 
Warrior does his version of hulking up, hits clotheslines and the gorilla press slam, and the splash to the back. But Savage kicked out. Warrior's talking to his gods upstairs. He's being all, what the fuck, man? I thought I had him beat. And he nearly leaves, but gets clotheslined by Savage. Savage then went to do the sledge into the barricade, like how he injured Ricky the Dragon's steamboat. But the warrior counters, and he seems to have his answer from his gods. Now I know! That just makes me think of that sketch from Mitchell and Webb where someone's filming a sex scene and that's all they can say during the sex. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now we know. Now we know. John, you, you were talking. Was I? Yeah, you, you said, now we know. Now we know? Yeah. Did I? Yeah, you did a bit. Oh, my God, how weird. Sorry. Don't worry. Let, let's go again straight away. Okay. Turn over, please. Sounds speak. Oh, now we know. Now we know. Yeah, now we know. No. Cut! Back in the ring, he speared shoulder blocks Savage out of the ring three times and then pins him with one foot to get the win. So the Warrior gets to keep his career after 20 minutes and 47 seconds. I really enjoyed this match. I thought it was very good. I thought there was a lot on the line and that came over throughout the match I thought it was laid out very well it was really really good quality really enjoyed it Warrior put his jacket back on and poses for the fans and Sherry's all pissed off so starts cheap shotting Macho this causes Elizabeth to jump the barricade pull Sherry out of a ring and a downed Savage is still groggy and he doesn't see who his saviour is until the very moment he almost struck her this then gets everybody all emotional and they hug each other to a huge pop from the crowd. They do the classic pose with Liz on the Macho Man's shoulder and the camera finds lots of people crying in the audience. Macho holds the ropes open for Liz and then poses for the crowd for one last farewell. Did you understand the significance of this, watching at the time, Kyle? Watching at the time, no, I didn't. However, through experience and you know having a, a wider knowledge i now understand what this was all about and it definitely pays up yeah i was confused i'd interpreted sherry as being macho's actual manager and i didn't realize that miss elizabeth came before her and i got like everything mixed up watching at the time but yeah this is one of the all-time classic moments in the wwf yeah. I remember watching this as a kid and thinking it was really weird that Warrior's finisher was only a shoulder block. But that still didn't stop me from going into WWF attitude and making him as a character immediately. So he still did something to capture my imagination. <laughs> Certain parts of this match are kind of strange viewing it with modern eyes, but still it's really well paced, it's really intense. And it's such a great full circle moment for the Macho Man character. This is like one of the greatest face turns in the history of pro wrestling. All of his heel tactics failed during the match. And that featured lots of callbacks to his feuds with Steamboat and Hogan. And then his original manager saves him from his current manager. And that's when he sees the light. 
and it's just one of the best executed moments in wrestling. Very much so, very enjoyable. Definitely a significant level above some of the wrestling we've seen previously on this show. Yeah, agree with that. We kind of hit an intermission-style section here with Brain and Gorilla hyping up the rest of the card. Now, I swear on the version of the show that we had, we cut to Lord Alfred Hayes in the crowd, and he was like, oh, this is just so emotional. I can't believe what a great moment. What a magnificent couple. Yeah. They do this all the time. They mix things about for the home video release and as opposed to the pay-per-view. Instead, what we got is the celebrities interviewing people. So Regis Philbin's interviewing The Undertaker and Paul Bearer, and he quips, a great day to be alive, wouldn't you say? But Undertaker and Bearer are measuring him for supposedly a coffin. Yeah, it's like some sort of body bag. And there's a lot of funny faces pulled in this. (laughs) Alex Trebek's then with Demolition and Mr. Fuji. Oh, sorry, Master Fuji. They no-sell his attempt at playing Jeopardy. They say that Master Fuji is the only one with all the answers. Then we meet Regis again, and he's with their opponents, Tenryu and Katao. He doesn't speak any Japanese, so he just says Japanese brands to them, and they nod agreeably. (laughs) Finally, we close off with Alex Trebek back with Jake the Snake Roberts and Damien. Jake tells him that Damien's a big fan of Jeopardy, and that scares him off. And Brain is absolutely loving this, and it's revealed that he's set up those interviews as a rib. Good one. Yeah. <laughs> On to our eighth match. It's a tag team contest with Demolition, accompanied by Mr. Fuji, taking on Genricho Tenru and Koji Katao. This is the debut for the Japanese lads. Uh, the WWF were in some interpromotional relationship with the place they worked with in Japan, and they'd send WWF guys over to the Japanese shows there, and this is kind of like a, a little reward for that, I guess. Yeah. Around the time, people were kind of expecting that we'd get Demolition taking on the Legion of Doom instead, because that was like the big dream match that they were building towards. Legion of Doom cost Demolition the tag titles at SummerSlam, and Demolition basically were the WWF's version of the Legion of Doom, so I was like, oh, they finally get a lock-up, and we didn't get that, which is a bit of a letdown. There's a few instances of this card here where they kind of spread people across very, very thinly, all in favour of matches that I guess didn't really need to happen. We start this match off basically with a hate crime, because... Demolition, Pearl Harbor, the Japanese tag team. And there's a nice jumping knee strike by Katao, but he gets hit with Fuji's cane. Tenryu tags in, he gets backbreaked by Crush, but then Katao saved him from the Demolition decapitation on two occasions. And that allows Tenryu to hit an Enzigiri and a powerbomb. And that gets the win for the debuting Tenryu and Katao after four minutes and 44 seconds. I just thought it was very weird to have Demolition lose. Yeah, very flat and very little fanfare behind it all, really. Yeah, the whole match was quite odd for me. After the emotional roller coaster of the previous match, I think people were just yeah. sold out. 
Yeah, it was just very odd. Yeah. Mean Gene's with the big boss man, and he's going to put the insults that were thrown at his mama behind him, and he's going to take Mr. Perfect's IC title because crime doesn't pay. And then we see Mooney is backstage with Perfect and Bobby the Brain, and Brain seems to reference the Rodney King incident, which is a bit jarring. Yeah. Uh, he promises they're going to bring their own brand of justice, and Perfect says he's cool as a cat and has all the tools it takes to be the champion. There's another instance here where the setup to some of these matches is very different to modern day wrestling. Now it's the, the broadcasters themselves who have all the control and, you know, you cut to clips and things and they explain it to you. Whereas here, you're always cutting back and it's the wrestlers themselves that are driving it and they're talking through what's going on and their reason to fight and things like that. Yeah. I don't want them to use this approach every single time, but it would be nice to see a little more of this because I think they went too far in the other direction and made things a bit more homogenized. Yeah, I'd agree with that. On to our ninth match. It's for the Intercontinental Championship with Mr. Perfect, the champion, accompanied by Bobby Heenan. Taking on the big boss man. Lord Al has joined commentary because Heenan's managing again. And oh my god, boss man in a pretty nasty boys level move here wipes his arse on Perfect's towel and spits at him. Yeah. What kind of policeman is this guy? Mm. Perfect slaps him back and takes a breather, then takes a ridiculous bump from a punch and gets dragged by his own hair and sent to the outside. Bossman missed a corner charge, which leads to Perfect working the ribs. His chops are so loud. Yeah, I noticed that. We almost get a Montreal screw job before the Montreal screw job because <laughs> Bobby the Brain, when Perfect's got Bossman in a abdominal stretch, he's encouraging Mark Yaten, the timekeeper, you get ready to ring that bell. He's going to tap out at any minute. <laughs> beautiful somersault neck snap by Mr. Perfect. He also hit the blockbuster as well. Yeah. He's flying about all over this match. He jumps right into a big boot from the boss man, takes a huge bump hitting the turnbuckle face first and then boss man slides Perfect bollocks into the ring post. (laughs) Perfect bollocks. I guarantee you my bollocks are absolutely <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Another ridiculous bump where there's an uppercut from the boss man and it sends perfect all the way over the top rope and out of the ring. <laughs> perfect sends boss man into the ring steps and Heenan starts cheap shotting the boss man until out of nowhere, Andre the Giant turns up. Yeah, this is one of his last ever appearances, isn't it? Yes, it's his last WrestleMania appearance. And he sticks around for the summer. And for some reason, loads of managers try and recruit him and things like that. But it never really went anywhere. You can probably tell he's not in the best of health right now. Yeah. He grabs the championship belt and wallops perfect with it while the ref was distracted. 
Perfect kicked out of a subsequent cover, but then Haku and the Barbarian run in, and that gets us a DQ. Bossman fights them off and sends them to the outside for Andre to beat them up as well. Monsoon then teases on commentary that this might be the strategy Sergeant Slaughter uses later tonight to retain the title. Mm-hmm. It's a shame to sacrifice your Intercontinental title match <laughs> for that ball. So Bossman won by DQ, which means perfect retained after 10 minutes and 46 seconds. There was a few times where perfect was just a bit too theatrical. But I still thought this was pretty good. Bossman had great energy for such a big guy. It was nice to get Andre one last WrestleMania payday, but the finish was the big thing that let this match down. I'd agree with that. There's a lot lot of heat, crappy finish. Yeah, you could tell that they didn't want to take the title off perfect. That was a thing. It's kind of weird. They're trying to build Bossman up as this big force that's he's run through the whole entire Heenan family, and now this is his chance. He's reached the final boss of the Heenan family. And yeah, they just didn't pull the trigger, and they didn't do enough with Bossman to make him feel like a big enough deal, I guess. Yeah. We'll take another quick break here, because we're about to reach the final third of the show. We'll break it off a question time here. And we've just seen Liz and the Macho Man reunited. One of the all-time classic wrestling moments. Kyle, what are some of your favourite wrestling reunions? For me, it still gets me all all excited when I think about it. You know when, I think we're we're looking 2006, 2007, the height of the Spirit Squad. (laughs) <laughs> right. At the moment, this isn't sounding too exciting with the Spirit Squad. However, Triple H was up against Vince and the Spirit Squad, and Vince shouts for the Spirit Squad to come out and attack Triple H. One by one, Spirit Squad members come flying out of the curtain. Vince's like, what the hell? Sean walks out. Holy shit! Oh my god, the X are back together! That's a big one for me. I always like when you get Brothers of Destruction reunions. Mm, yeah. That's always big for me. They're so good together, but then they're so good against each other. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Kane and Undertaker, there's something pretty special about that. I think it's just because, like, the first time I saw them do it, 2001, it's like, they can do it? What? And... They're so tied together, it was hard for me to view them as opposition. Another big favourite for me was, again, tail end of 2006, the Hardy Boys tagging together again. Yeah. Because I've been longing for Jeff to make a comeback, and I was so pleased that that actually came off. And he slotted right in there like he, he hadn't missed a beat, really. Yeah, that was really nice, and we'll always remember their big comeback at WrestleMania, which was wonderful! Oh, yeah, absolutely. Still gives me goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah. What a a moment. Yeah. The opposite end of the scale here, as we hit match 10 of the night, it's Earthquake with Jimmy Hart taking on Greg the Hammer Valentine. Valentine had previously been in Jimmy Hart's stable of wrestlers, so 
now I guess he's starting to fight all Jimmy Hart's people, just like Bossman was fighting all Bobby Heenan's people. Yeah. Curious moment here where they interview celebrity guests at ringside during all the entrances. Good old Trump. <laughs> yeah, we get Trump and Chuck Norris, who goes really old school on us saying how he loved Gorgeous George and Antonino Rocker and yeah i was going to say back then i found that the celebrities were much bigger than you get nowadays or is that because i probably don't know them as much but i would have said Um, that the celebrities back then were were of a higher status these guys are probably less u.s centric yeah I think, like, well, I mean, we had it, the hosts meant nothing particularly to either of us. They were more US-centric, but the people in the crowd here watching, Chuck Norris, and then they did Henry Winkler from Happy Days and Lou Ferrigno for Incredible Hulk. Like, they were both shows that got shown pretty prominently here. That's what I mean. Like, back then, I think the celebrities were huge, whereas Mm. now, like, Gronk, I'm not being funny, but Chuck Norris is much higher status than Gronk. I'd say so, yeah. But again, that's another US-centric one, really. Yeah. We get a walking power slam by Quake, but Hammer kicked out. Valentine got him down on one knee with an elbow and then finally felled him with a second rope elbow. Jimmy Hart distracted him from attempting his figure four, which allowed Quake to hit a huge elbow drop of his own. And the big whoopsie to get the win after three minutes and 14 seconds. This was pointless and next to useless, really. Another squash match. Mm. Just that's, yeah. <laughs> that's the, that was the other thing about this year's WrestleMania. Some of the matches kind of came out of nowhere. Like, as to Black and Bobby Lashley, why are they fighting? Yeah slightly similar parallels here although at least we we got half decent wrestling match out of that as opposed to just squashes yeah i mean there's a hell of a lot of matches on this card that ran less than five minutes mm, yeah this is what i'm saying about people being spread thin a little bit mm. i feel like you could jumble things up and, and get a, a much more purposeful card yeah we see backstage sean mooney's with the legion of doom they say they should have had the tag title shot against the Hearts, but Power and Glory interfered in their championship contenders match. So Hawk quips that he'll turn Power and Glory into Sour and Gory. All right. <laughs> it's our 11th match. Power and Glory, the tag team of Paul Roma and Hercules, accompanied by Slick, taking on the Legion of Doom. And once again, the heels jump people at the bell. Yeah. And then get flattened by the Legion of Doom. Roe is power slammed out of midair. The Doomsday device gets the win. LOD win in less than a minute. I like butternut squash as much as anyone, but this is a bit too much. Yeah. I mean, I love the finishing move. That's the one good take that I'll... I'll take from this. <laughs> That's a classic double team and a half. Yeah. We've had a bit of scraps to go on these last few matches, but up next we've got a really big feud brewing as they recap the Ted DiBiase and Virgil story. 
Virgil was employed by DiBiase to like help him out with all sorts of things, but DiBiase started to really demean him and make him do really embarrassing things like clean up his shoe when it's full of shit and taking things a bit too far. That led to Virgil finally standing up for himself at the Royal Rumble and nailing DiBiase with the million dollar title. On the February 23rd edition of Superstars, Virgil beat Haku with help from Rowdy Roddy Piper. And then, apparently the previous day on Superstars, Virgil caused DiBiase to lose the match by countout to a complete and utter ham and egger that I did not recognise at all. <laughs> Cut WrestleMania! You spell man! V-I-R-G-I-L! Yeah. <laughs> Again, much like Liz and Macho getting back together, here yeah. we have an all-time classic instance of, if you will, a villain's minion finally turning on said villain. Yeah. What was your favourite instances where that got repeated, Kyle? Now you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> Go on, I'll swap. I'll swap it to you. I think. Tell you what. Um, it went in a totally different direction than I was expecting, but the Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss story went in the completely opposite direction to this. They're friends, and Nikki's not approving of the way Alexa does things, and so you're expecting that Nikki's going to break away, but she actually sticks around and wins Alexa over. I thought that's a really good twist on things. Yeah, I liked that. They work really well together as well. That's good. I'd probably go for, like, Evolution. You know, the, the big mm. swap with those when when they win the belts. You get the Batista disappearing, not disappearing, but moving out, Orton going as well. Yeah, the Batista one especially, because that was where they were really underestimating him. And coming out of that, he came off like a real no-nonsense baby face. It doesn't take any shit off people. Yeah. On to our 12th match of this card. It's the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, going against Virgil, and he's accompanied by Rowdy Roddy Piper. Piper's on crutches and is apparently selling a motorcycle accident. In reality, he just had hip surgery. Howard Finkel draws a blank here. He's introducing Piper and he calls him the individual who will be in the corner of Mr. DiBiase's opponent. Like, you totally forgot Virgil's name, didn't you? <laughs> Speaking of forgetting things, they forgot to give Virgil any music as well. Yeah. He boxes all throughout the match to get the advantage, and DiBiase has to keep going out to get a breather. He tells the ref to make Virgil punch with an open hand because he's so frustrated, and then finally takes him down with a drop toe hold. It's a pile driver, but Virgil kicked out. And another little monsoon quirk on commentary. Anytime there's a regular suplex, Gorilla has to announce it as suplex and a beauty. So odd. It can't be a regular suplex. It has to be a beauty. Yeah. DBFC shoves Piper down and goes back inside to hit a power slam and then goes out for another cheap shot on Piper just as he was getting up. But that actually caused Ted to get counted out. Out of frustration, he hooks on the million dollar dream on Virgil 
And that causes Piper to crawl back in the ring and hit Ted with one of his crutches. And then when he tries to do it again, out comes Sherry Martell. She blocks mm-hmm. the shot, and that allows Ted to cheap shot Piper's knee brace. Then Virgil grabs the other crutch and chases away the heels. Unintentional comedy moment here where Piper's all frustrated and flailing around on the ground, and he accidentally nails one of the refs right in the balls with the crutch. <laughs> so perfectly targeted like he probably couldn't aim it that well if he actually tried no (laughs) he doesn't want help up but then Virgil just demands that he gets up Virgil came across a bit too angry here like he he was trying to be like inspiring and stuff but I just thought he was like angry at Piper and was gonna turn on him or something he's like get up yeah yeah anyway Piper eventually makes it to his feet and they embrace Virgil's the winner by count out after seven minutes and 41 seconds. What did you make to this, Kyle? I mean, that was the fastest 10 count I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I didn't keep track of where it came from either. That was incredible. I mean, the, the match wasn't great, let's be honest. Virgil was very limited, but, you know, to put him over clean, do a count out. Yeah, very cheap way to blow off his storyline. Virgil's crap. I thought DBRC had some nice moves. I think DBRC was just a bit too generous here, the way he worked with Virgil. Yeah. I was trying to coax yeah. stuff out of Virgil, but he didn't really have. No, no. Okay, we're crawling towards the main event here. Shaw Mooney is outlining the feud over the championship. Two weeks ago on Superstars, Sergeant Slaughter burnt a Hulk Rules t-shirt. So that cues a very sweaty Sergeant Slaughter to join Mooney. I thought he looked like a character from LOLO, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He tells us that Hogan has to play by his rules now. We then see more clips where he attacked Jim Duggan with a cane and then Hulk Hogan with a chair on the main event. And he's looking forward to the ultimate slime being on his back for the free count and then threatens yeah. Ooh, you know I could get DQ'd or counted out to keep my belt you never know we'll see how that plays out yeah my next thoughts are what the fuck another match And well not just another match another really shit short match <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> our 13th of the evening the Mountie along with Jimmy Hart taking on Tito Santana there's a leapfrog from the Mountie, and then his second is met in midair with Tito's trademark flying forearm. But then the Mountie sneaks in the shot with the cattle prod to get the win in what Gorilla Monsoon called a miscarriage of justice. Mountie wins after one minute and 21 seconds. Just get to the main event already. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to see the Mountie do his best Jeff Jarrett I'm going to do nothing and then win out of nowhere match <laughs> backstage we have Mean Gene interviewing Hulk Hogan and he promises it's no laughing matter after Slaughter tried to burn the dreams of his Hulkamaniacs <laughs> and then point it lies here as he calls the Hulk Hogan of 1991 new technology <laughs> 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 
Is it fuck? <laughs> Gene shows us clips from last week's wrestling challenge where Hogan took on General Adnan. That's a mismatch there. And Slaughter attacked him with the title belt and made him humble in the camera clutch. Oh, oh yeah. This is the promo where Hogan mixed up 360 degrees and 180 degrees. He says that Slaughter will be the victim of Twilight's last creaming. So we're heading towards our main event at long last for the WWF Championship. Sergeant Slaughter, the champion, is accompanied by General Adnan and taking on Hulk Hogan. Howard Finkel introduces the celebrity guests. Regis Philbin is going to join the commentary team. Marla is the guest timekeeper. And Alex Trebek is the guest ring announcer. I'm kind of disappointed that he didn't phrase his ring announcing in the form of a question. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Did you see the Hulkamania Will Live Forever banner that was printed on the Dot Matrix printer paper? No, I think I missed that. Oh, I don't think it was quite front row, but it was pretty low down in the crowd. And you can just see the little pinholes around the sides where the, the it has to go through the printer. That's a proper throwback. Oh, no. I missed that. <laughs> we get to the match with Hulk powering down the champion after a bunch of aggressive lockups. Adnan cheap shotted him right in front of the ref. That leads to Sergeant Slaughter attacking with... Probably the comfiest steel chair in existence. I think Mm. the referee was too ashamed on his behalf to call for the DQ here. (laughs) Very Flair-esque begging off by Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah. And then that let him do the thumb to the eye. Hogan comes back with a clothesline, atomic drop, and a glancing elbow. Then for some reason goes up top of this big high-fire Hulk Hogan. Adnan grabbed a hold of his leg, which allowed Slaughter to slam him off, send him to the outside and attack with a less padded chair behind the referee's back. Slaughter starts working over the back, aiming towards the camel clutch, and takes ages locking on a Boston crab. Yeah, it was it, it was quite bitty. Yeah. I think Regis speaks for all of us here. Hogan was so close to the ropes and he's just and Regis just goes, why doesn't he go for the rope? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, quite. He eventually did. And then Slaughter hits a top rope stomp into the back. But he only got two because General Adnan inadvertently distracted the referee. The referee's just distracted again and there's a chair shot to the head that cuts Hulk Hogan open. Why are you distracting the ref on all of this stuff when you're aiming to deliberately get disqualified? Yeah, it's quite a lot of this that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I know. It's totally going against the story that they've been building up. Camel Clutch gets applied. Hogan eventually gets Sarge on his back, only to get driven into the turnbuckle and draped in the Iraqi flag. Sarge covers, but Hogan hooks up and rips up the flag. Pointing, free punch, big boot, big leg, big free count. Meet the new rules, same as the old rules. Yeah. Hogan is champion again for the third time after 20 minutes and 26 seconds. 
<laughs> Regis quips. What a comeback. I've never seen anything like it. Have you never seen Hulk Hogan wrestle? <laughs> That's the same comeback he does every match. He is the comeback king. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think, Kyle? It was the what you'd expect in a Hogan match. There was a few silly spots. The distraction during the slaughter pin. Hogan going to the top rope, even though he never did that. <laughs> the ref obviously seeing the chair shots right in front of him. They both worked hard, but Slaughter was looking really old in that, and you kind of just got the big Hogan comeback out of it at the end. Yeah, Slaughter had so little to offer as a wrestler at this point. It's just, yeah. I thought this was very terrible and paint-by-numbers, really. They didn't do much with the supposed storyline they had going into this of the DQ, and even openly contradicted it at points. Thought this was a terrible ending to the show. One of the worst WrestleMania main events going. Hogan celebrates with the flag, and Monsoon out of nowhere just declares the war is over. What gives you that authority? It's like, <laughs> well, he said it now. That's yeah. it. Done. Really gross moment. Hogan wipes his blood on the American flag. Isn't that a crime or something? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's like derogatory in some sort of way. Unless he's meaning he's spilling his blood for the flag. I wouldn't want Hulk Hogan. I mean, I'm picking straws here. I'm just. (laughs) (laughs) Bobby the Brain says it all at the end here. Standing at ringside, Donald Trump cheering Hulk Hogan. Mm. Yeah, they they kind of belong together, really. Yeah. A uh, bit of a downer to end things, but what did you think of the show overall, Kyle? What was your favourite match? Who was your standout performer? Favourite match, Ultimate Warrior against Randy Savage. My standout was Randy Savage and, and the Ultimate Warrior. I think the memorable moment from that as well is, you know, the end with Savage reuniting with Elizabeth. So I think that's sort of the focal point for me for this WrestleMania. Do we have a worst match? <laughs> Take your pick. <laughs> I mean, Throw a dart at I'm, some of these. I'm going to go for the demolition match because we've got a few that were terrible. However, this was terrible and didn't make sense for demolition to lose. So that takes the cream. <laughs> oh, boy. Did you enjoy it overall? Not really, no. Mm. Very mediocre. I line up with a lot of your points here, Kyle. Randy Savage was a top performer on this show. Laying out that match for the Ultimate Warrior made him look pretty good. The performance post-match as well really sold things. And yeah, that was the match of the night, Warrior and Savage. I also really enjoyed the opener, the Rockers and the Barbarian. I enjoyed the Warlord and the British Bulldog and didn't mind the Perfect and Bossman match. It was like down by the finish. And then the rest of the show was kind of neither here or there, really. It died a death after the career-ending match. Uh, Yeah, I agree with that. Once you hit that point, there was only the Intercontinental title match that was anything near worthwhile. Yeah. Definitely a bit of a downer. People spread 
too thinly around. And the big matches with big stories going into them didn't really live up to things either. I quite liked the spectacle of the blindfold match, but it's not really a, a grudge match. DiBiase and Virgil was one of the best stories going into this show and their match was really pants as well and then you had the main event just contradicting what they were telling you about what Slaughter's tactics were it was a bit pants really yeah of the last six Wrestlemania's as well there's been only one main event that hasn't featured Hulk Hogan so it's sort of I think for mixing it up a little bit mm. you know it's always Hogan in the main event you know other than Savage and DiBiase at Wrestlemania 4 it's always been Hogan hasn't it yeah and I think they probably are heading towards a bit of exhaustion here yeah well hopefully it'll be better next time our next tape we're going to re- go through together is the UK version of No Mercy 1999. Yeah. But before we head to that, we've got a special collaboration episode in the works. Yeah. Keep your eyes peeled for that. But in the meantime, you should check out our friends at Last Match Standing podcast. And that'll wrap up our show. You can follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at TNW underscore podcast. Give us a like on Facebook. You can check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and on our SoundCloud page. There's a playlist of every episode so far on there, as well as a playlist of all of our guest appearances on the Rory's Nitro podcast. Definitely go check that out. Yeah, come check us out. We're fun, we're friendly, and we talk about wrestling. <laughs> That's a good combination. (laughs) Okay, folks, we'll see you next time. It's a goodbye from Kyle. Yeah, thank you for listening. See you next time. That's a goodbye from me. I'll catch you down the road. Yeah. Oh, yeah.